Bless you. Me and wife's talking about it, uh, last Sunday, man. It was so good. Uh, of course, we had uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday. So good to see this house was packed. Now, why ain't it packed today? It's still Easter. You realize that? Look on your phone. All of you's got calendars on your phone, and look on your phone and tell me what day it says it is today on your phone. Do it. If you don't know what it is, if you do know what it is, holler it out. It's Orthodox Easter. We did Easter on the wrong Sunday. <laughs> Today is actually Easter in the Orthodox Church. And I'm saying all that because I'm going to tie that into what I'm talking about today. But you know, all you look at your calendar, and, and that's one of those permanent things that's on the calendar that's put on there by people that make the calendar. And you ever wonder why that is? Why did we celebrate Easter last Sunday? And really the majority of the world is celebrating Easter today. And we're not. Isn't that weird? To have two Easter's. That's because we've got Eastern and Western folk. Now when we say East and West, we're not talking about California, Georgia. We're talking about the Mediterranean, and when we say the East, we're talking about the, the Middle East, or we're talking about the other side of the world. And when we say West, we're talking about the Americas and us and, and where we live. And when you talk about Orthodox or Orthodoxy, that word just means that that is accepted widely, generally, as the truth, as being true and being uh, the right way is to be an orthodox person. And of course, that's applied to orthodox in a lot of different religions and, and statements. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a uh, really a totally different view of orthodox Christianity and uh, we would say modern Christianity. And a lot of us, you know, and I'm not trying to be a, theolo you know, a theologian or anything, but I thought I'd bring it to your attention because it's on your calendar. And you like me, you got to wonder, like, well, what's that, what's that about? I mean, why is that such a big deal? It's got to be a big deal. They wouldn't put it on the calendar, right? Oh, y'all still standing, right? You can be seated. Love you guys. <clears throat> Will I tell all the people they missed Easter today? We're going to do Easter twice. Um, I'm entitling this the Emmaus Way, and most of you have heard about the Emmaus Road. Uh, uh, the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, they do something called uh, the Walk to Emmaus, a great uh, program they have. And uh, I love that story in Luke 24. I'm not going to read all of it for the sake of time. It begins in verse 13 and ends in verse 27. But it's really about two guys. This is the crucifixion, of course, has occurred. Jesus has already, uh, you know, been resurrected. Uh, he is visible, walking around, being seen uh, by people that have eyes to see him. Now, these are two guys, and I, the reason I love this story, because this story really is a metaphor for all of us. Although it's, it's, it happened but we see all of us at some point in time in this story 
by the fact that we're walking the wrong path, we're on the wrong road, headed the wrong way, right? And like I said before, it's not that all roads lead to Jesus. Some roads don't lead to anything but death and destruction. But you can rest assured that Jesus is on that road with you. And he is reaching out to you to cause those blinders that's on your eyes to go away. Now, the reason these two guys are discouraged, Jesus says they're sad, their countenance is sad, they're, they're discouraged. They're, distur- they're discouraged because what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. Uh, they really don't believe in the resurrection of a person that's been dead for three days. Although the women had already gone to the tomb, came back and reported that his body was gone, and, that, and, and some of the women, it says in the story here, reported that they had had a vision of angels, that they had talked to angels, and angels had told them, he is not here, but he is risen. And yet they didn't believe that, obviously, because they're depressed, they're sad, they're walking away from Jerusalem, they're on a seven-mile walk to a, a little village called Emmaus, and, uh, and, and they're very discouraged. And, and it says that Jesus drew near to them, and, and he begins to have a conversation. Now, he, he draws near to them, and these two guys are talking. It says uh, in verse 15 that they conversed in reasons uh, among themselves. They're, they're having a, a conversation. And Jesus himself drew near, went with them. Can I tell you that Jesus is with you? There's so much good preaching in this story. You could just stay here all day. And it says in verse 16 that their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I've heard uh, preachers say, wrongly so, that, that the Lord was behind the restraining of their eyes. That's foolish. Uh, their eyes were restrained by their theology, by their religious view. And that's why our eyes are restrained, and we don't see God when we should see God because of our, our bias, our bend, our a lot of us, the way we were raised in church. That's why I wrote a book called uh, Myths Heard in Church, because I've heard, I heard a lot of myths growing up in church that were, that were just that, that were not true. And, uh, and so this is why their eyes are, are blinded by their view. They thought Jesus was going to kick the Romans out physically and take over uh, Jerusalem and Israel and, uh, and, the, and usher in a, a kingdom where they would you know, be a physical earthly kingdom at that moment. Uh, they, they didn't understand what, what was going on. And, uh, and Jesus says, I love how he, he draws near to them. He listens to them talk a while. They're having a conversation. And it's not a good conversation. You, you ever listen to two depressed people talk to one another? It's not good. And uh, Jesus says in verse 17, what kind of conversation? And see, don't tell you something. That word there, conversation, is really important right now because there's a conversation going on not only among church folks, but the world right now, I believe more than ever before, about God and what that means. And it's weird that we could be living in America where it's well known that people love Jesus but hate Christians. As a broad brushstroke. Now some of you didn't like that, and, and, and I'm, I'm not the author of it. I'm just saying that that's people's view. People will say, well, I love the Lord, but I hate church. And the reason I hate church is because Christians go to church. Good morning, we're so happy you're here. And I don't have time to unpack all that. I'm, you know, Christianity, Jesus did not come, you know, leave heaven, come to earth to make, start a new religion called Christianity. Uh, Jesus came to show us Papa, the Father, and, uh, and for our way 
home back to him. And, and so Jesus uh, talks to them and he says, what kind of conversation is it you, that you have with one another as you walk in or sad? And, uh, and so one of them named Cleopolis, he, he responds kind of sharply and uh, sarcastically. And he asks Jesus basically what he says, are you a tourist? <laughs> That's what it means. Are, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Are you a tourist here? Uh, isn't that something that he would ask the Lord? <laughs> are you a tourist? And you've not known the things that's happened in these days. And then I love this response by Jesus. He says, what things? Jesus just lets you talk, man. Ask your hard questions. Go ahead. Have a conversation with him. Tell him all your messed up views, your messed up theology, your messed up life. Just He'll listen. He's not there to straighten them out. He's there to reveal the Father's love for them. This ain't 20,000 people. This is not 2,000 people. This is not 200 people. This is two guys. Just two guys. And the Lord Himself is having a conversation and listening to these two sad, depressed, confused people that's on the wrong path, headed the wrong way. Does that sound familiar to anybody you know? And Jesus says, what things? That's one of them things that he says that makes me, well, I said, anyway, sounds weird. I want to kiss him in the mouth when he's saying that. That's just so nice. That's so fatherly. What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, not notice who he is, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. They're the ones that did it, and, and these guys knew it. And they were surprised that they got away with it. But we were hoping, we're not hoping now, but we were hoping. Boy, something bad in your life when you lose hope. When you lose hope. It says we were hoping that he was he who was going to redeem Israel. They thought he was going to kick the Romans out and all that stuff. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened, and there were certain of women of our company, they arrived at the tomb early, and they were astonished. They astonished us when they did not find his body, but they came saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb. They found it just like the women said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, now Jesus is not being cruel here, he's, he's being fatherly. He says, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so when I say the Emmaus way, that, that encapsulates a lot of things. But I, I want you to, to know that Jesus begins with Moses. Now when it says begins with Moses, he's talking about he begins with Genesis. Because at least Moses is the one that provided the information. He may not be the one that penned it, because he was dead when it was actually written down. But he was the one that told the story in Genesis. And the first five books, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses is is how the Jews refer to it. And, uh, and so uh, he begins with Genesis. And he begins to Jesus. I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven to check out this DVD. 
Because I want to listen to Jesus preaching Jesus from the Old Testament to these two guys. So in other words, Jesus says here and shows us that the way to read the Bible in its entirety, and the only way to read the Bible is to read it as spiritual, not as literal, carnal, natural, not to read it as a dead letter that killeth, but as spirit that gives life. And Jesus tells these guys that you're confused theologically big time because you don't read the scriptures the Emmaus way. You, you don't, in other words, when you read the Bible, you and I today, if, first off, for most Americans, it would be they don't ever read the Bible. And I don't mean that is a mean thing to say. I just mean that it's just reality. Most people have never read the Bible. Most Christians have never read the Bible. What they think they know of the Bible, they got from their preachers that they associate with or went to or listened to or the favorite preacher that's in person or TV or Internet now or whatever. And, and, and you know, if the preacher says it, then it's got to be true because he's a preacher and they believe it. Big mistake. Big mistake. Now, I value the scriptures, man. I love the Bible, and you can tell that. I mean, I lean towards being a theologian. I'm not saying I'm one, but I love that kind of study. And I have to really kind of restrain myself because I know that probably most of you even don't really care to go that deep with it. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean that most people just don't have the paradigm to, to you know. Now, Apostle Calloway, we're so glad he's here today. Now, he, he even cares it even further than I do, and I love that. Love that about him. I love his love for the word. And I value and I, I love the scriptures. But, but, and, but when I grew up in church, we said a lot of stupid things about the Bible. One of those stupid things was we said the Bible is the word of God. The Bible itself says it's not the word of God. The Bible tells us who is the word of God and it's Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word of God, not a book. And Jesus himself in John 5, in verse 39, spoke very clearly to, to, to people that studied the Scriptures. And he said to the Pharisees you and the scribes, he said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But he said, Those Scriptures speak of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you can actually have that life. All they wanted to do was study the Scriptures, and they saw it as a guide. The Scriptures are not your guide for life. That's a new one to say in church, isn't it? The Scriptures are not your guide for life. The Holy Spirit is your guide. Jesus didn't say in John 16 that I'm going to go away. He did say I'm going to go away, and he did say that it's to your advantage. It's going to be to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I will not leave you like you are now, that you feel like you're orphans without a father. But when I go away, I will send another who will not only be with you, but he shall be in you, and he shall be your guide. And he will lead and guide you into all truth. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go away, I'm going to leave you a book. And just read the book, and that's all you'll need to know. He didn't say, like a lot of people say, that God don't talk no more. That God wrote a book, he sat down in heaven, and he hadn't said a word since. He didn't say that. He, he, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the Holy Spirit who is God in you. God in you. 
And, and so, beginning at Moses, he taught them to, to read the Bible the Emmaus way. And I pray that you'll read the Bible the Emmaus way. And what I mean by that, in simple terms, is when you read Genesis or Leviticus or Exodus or, or Deuteronomy or Numbers or, or First Kings or Second, what, whatever, when you read the Scriptures, if and when you read them, and I encourage you to do so, it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. But only if you're going to read it through the Emmaus way. Because if you read it another way, it's going to be a confusing book. And, and you're going to be able to take that book. See, because it's not enough to have the book, the Word of God. That we would say, well, that's the written Word, and Jesus is the living Word. Well, I mean, I kind of accept that, but the Bible don't say that. You say that. It just says the Word of God is Jesus. And all Scripture points to a person who is Jesus. And for us, most people in the Bible never have seen a Bible. All the people in the Bible that we talk about didn't have a Bible. And they didn't read a Bible, but they knew a person. Moses never read the Bible. Moses never read the Bible because there was no Bible when Moses was on earth, but he had an encounter. Weird, but a bush that was on fire talked to him. How's that for your theological foundation? Well, how'd you get to know this Yahweh, this God? Well, I was out in the desert and a bush caught fire and started talking to me. Oh, a bush told you to go to Egypt. That's new. You had an encounter. Abraham never read the Bible because there was no Bible when Abraham was around. But Abraham talked to God and God talked to Abraham. Isaac never read the Bible. Jacob didn't read the Bible. Because there wasn't a Bible. We didn't get a Bible until we get over in Kings and Samuel. Then we got a five books of Moses. And then they started writing down what the prophets said. And somewhere as time went along and Jesus came and Jesus lived and he died and was crucified. And after Jesus lived and died and was crucified, buried and resurrected, then about a thousand years in, then we get the Apostles' Creed. Anybody ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? What, what, what about the Nicene Creed? Uh, it's from those two creeds that the people that wrote those creeds, and so you, you got Google, so you got plenty of time, and it's going to be a great day for you to just spend all Sunday on Google reading about what all that means, because I don't have time to unpack it. But those people that wrote that are orthodox. And they're the ones from those foundational creeds that decided what to canonize or to make, call, make Bible. And they canonize. The word canonize or canon means to like a ruler or, to, or straight. So they canonized the Scripture, and it took them hundreds of years to do it. it took them thousands of years, really, to do it. And, and, and for thousands of years, and they, even today, there's still people that don't agree that the Bible, that there, they, there's other books. The Orthodox Bible has more than 66 books. It has 70-something books in it. And that's the ones that they're using today all over in the East as today they celebrate Easter. And it's okay. And it ain't like we did it wrong and God's mad at us. But we have two different views of what is Orthodox. 
Now, what happened in the early church in the thousand, about, we're about a thousand years in, you know, then they, they, you know, things start changing and shifting a little bit. And at one point, and you don't understand that we are considered as our base to be Protestants, right? You, you know that, right? So we're Protestants. And uh, that's where we, that's where all, anybody in, in American, Baptist, Methodist, you know, all of it, that's where it comes from, out of we're Protestants, so at the root of that. And so, and, and we was all considered in 1,000, 2,000 years after Christ, 3,000, we were all considered Catholic because orthodoxy and Catholic is all synonymous. I can tell that's a new one on you. Good morning, Catholic people. Now, when I say Catholic, I'm not talking about Roman Catholic. But the word Catholic just means all together or oneness or unity or universal, really, is what it means. So in other words, the church embraced that title as Catholic because we're all one. And we gladly embraced that in the early church. We were all Catholic. And people in the uh, Orthodox uh, Christianity that's on the celebrating Easter today on the other side of the world, they consider themselves Catholic, but not Roman Catholic. And Roman Catholic don't accept them as really Catholic, because to them you're not Catholic unless you're Roman Catholic. What does this got to do with anything? I don't know. I'm just talking. <laughs> But to say we're all one or universal in faith, then I would gladly embrace that I'm Catholic in that regard. Of course, no American would embrace that today, and that's why that seems strange for me to say it to you and for you to hear it. I'm not Catholic. Sure you are, in the sense that you're universal and your faith is in the Lord Jesus. But we're not Roman Catholic. And so what started happening is in the they begin to be... A, a, they, it's a schism, really. They, they say it was over uh, theology, but I, it, was probably, it seemed to be more, if you study history, more political than theological. But so the, the Western world, us, back in that time, was Latin, Latin language. In Eastern, North, Eastern part of the world, Christianity, whatever, is Greek-speaking. So now we have two different languages. And then, so there starts to be a schism and a separation, two different languages, two different views, two different ideologies, two different, in some aspect, minor, however, but theology. For example, so we are all under the influence of Western ideology theology, not Eastern Orthodox theology. Now, as I've studied all my life and studied the church and was forced to study some of this that I didn't even want to, to get my bachelor's degree in systematic theology. But one thing I, did, I have a great appreciation for is what did the early fathers of the church believe? What did they believe about grace? And, and one thing they didn't believe is what we talked a little bit about last Sunday is that, that God was killing his own son on the cross for you. In other words, God's angry, you know, sin has to be punished. God's got to punish somebody so he can punish it in his son or he can punish it in you. You choose. 
And that Jesus really came to earth to save us from his angry father. Right? So the, but, the, but that's really, so let me just back up. So the Western view sees salvation more as a courtroom metaphor. They see God as judge. They see sin as law-breaking and something that cannot simply be written off the ledger or forgiven, but sin must be punished before there can be forgiveness. By the way, if that's true, then that makes sin, forgiveness, not grace, but a, a uh, transaction. And a transaction, in other words, a person's punished, it's a transaction, it's been paid for. You know, we hear that, Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus didn't pay for nothing. Jesus was murdered by us. Good morning. But where did substitute, and some people would hear me say that and go, well, that's heresy, man. And that just shows how ignorant they are. Because my belief is not recent. My belief is orthodox. I believe what the early fathers believed about Jesus and what was happening really on the cross. And because we didn't get substitutional penal atonement until John Calvin came along and Martin Luther. And that's 500 years. So that's where the heresy came from. That's an invention of those guys. But because they're Western influence, they, the church in America, the Western church, embraced it fully. And you and I grew up saturated hearing that. That that's really what was occurring. That Jesus was paying. Somebody's got to pay and Jesus came to pay it. No, Jesus came to show us the Father and we murdered him. <clears throat> so... Are y'all okay? <laughs> um, so the Western view is that they see God as the judge. It's more like a courtroom. Sin has to be punished. Can't be just forgiven. Uh, you know, and, um, and so the devil is the prosecuting attorney, our enemy. Uh, Jesus is our defense attorney. He's you know, there to defend us, uh, to be our uh, advocate. And, uh, and, and, and then they even go so far as to say that, you know, that God uh, was punishing Jesus on our behalf and actually forsook Jesus while he was dying for you on the cross, which is I've always thought was insane. And I have preached it that that's not true, even though when I didn't even have the theology or understanding to know really what was true, but I knew that wasn't true. Because if, and there was a time in my ministry life I defended and preached all that. Because that's what the other preachers, you know, preached. But you got to think about this. And, and, I, and I would use proof verses that would say, you know, yeah, Jesus was, that's what was happening. God forsook him. Well, where were the proof verses? Isaiah 53. It says that we esteemed him stricken by God. But if you read the verse now, when I read Isaiah 53 now, it doesn't prove nothing. It actually unties it and unproves it because it says when, it says we, we, when we saw him being crucified, we esteemed him. We esteemed him as smitten by God. In other words, what will religious people think when they see Jesus dying on the cross? They'll think God's doing it. That's what I saw the prophet Isaiah prophesying. He says we esteemed him stricken by God, smitten. But he said it was our sins it was upon him. It was our, our, our we, we did that to him. That's all prophet was saying. 
And then we get it from Jesus on the cross where he cried out and said, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Because see right there, that's proof that God forsook him. It didn't say God forsook him. It said Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? It was a plea. It was a cry. Jesus was not up there, you know, God pretending to be a man. I mean, the nails really hurt. He was going through hell on earth. And he cried out for whatever reason. Now, and and so the, the proof of that is in Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22, verse 1 says exactly, verse 1, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And it said that this are, it says that these are the things. Psalm twenty two is a prophetic uh, psalm depicting what would happen to the Messiah when he comes, and it's and it's detailed. It says they'll cast lots for his clothing. I mean, it's detailed. They would pierce his hands and feet. It, it tells us prophetically that, that, that this would happen to the Messiah. And one of the things the Messiah would say was he would say, "My God, my God, why why has thou forsaken me?" And, and, and so, uh, but we just, we, we read that and we go, well, let's say God forsook him. But if you read Psalm 22, all of it, you'll read down to verse 24, and it says, for he has not despised nor abhorred, which means hated the affliction of the afflicted. Talking about Jesus on the cross. Nor, listen to this, nor has he hidden his face from him. Read more than just one verse and come up with a Western view. It's, it says in there that he, this is a cry. He said, but when he cried to him, he heard. This is a cry from the flesh of the Lord being crucified and murdered. And he, he makes that cry. He ta- maybe he's tasting of, of, of that. I, I don't know, but he cries out. And it says in Psalm 22, 24, that, he, that God would not hide his face from him. Jesus in John 16, he said, uh, he, he said, the hour's coming, and yes, now is. He said, you, that y'all are all going to scatter from me, and you'll think I'm alone. But he said, I want to tell you this, that the, the Father is with me. Because the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. Jesus said, I'm not alone. I'll never be alone. And, and listen to this. How many gods do we believe in? Y'all, I'm going to quit preaching if y'all can't answer that one. One God. We don't believe in three different gods, do we? That is orthodox theology. We believe in one God whose essence is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Right? So we believe in one God. Now think about this. Listen to this. You want to talk about some heresy. If God is punishing Jesus on the cross for sin to be take care of him, then... then it, it, it pits God against the Son. Did Jesus ever cease being God when He was on the earth or on the cross? Did Jesus cease to be God ever at any point? So He's God. And to, for God to, to turn His back on Jesus would be to split the Trinity. You talk about some heresy. That's some heresy right there. To, to, to suggest that at some point the Trinity, the triuneness and the oneness of God has somehow been split while he's hanging on the cross. Now, buddy, that's as, 
That's as much as, that goes back to the foundation of what everybody says they believe is in one God manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you're going to get up there and preach that God turned his back, which means God turned, you, you, this is how preachers say it, God turned his back on his son, God couldn't look at sin, God uh, forsook Jesus on the cross. That's a, that's, a, that's a splitting of the Trinity. There's nothing more heretical than that. And that's why when I would hear people, I, I knew I couldn't get my mind theologically as a young preacher, but I knew that couldn't be right. Because that's dividing the, that's slicing the Trinity up. It's just, it's, just uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and so, it's, you know, forgiveness is not transactional. It's, it's a writing off the ledger. Jesus took away sin. Uh, forgiving cannot involve punishment because if it involves punishment, then that's payment for forgiveness. And, and forgiveness is, is actually pardoning the person from punishment. You're forgiven. And it's okay, you don't have to get all wild and crazy and, and get upset about, you know, the word substitution. And so I will say substitution, was Jesus our substitute? Yeah, yeah. And in other words, let me say it like this, substitution is true as long, listen, as long as you don't see it as appeasement. In other words, that where Christ's death appeases the wrath of an angry God. In other words, God is angry he, he's, he can be violent, and he has to be appeased. That, that's, that's the basis of all false gods. You, you got the Molech. They have to throw a baby in the fire to appease the god of Molech, which ain't a, don't even exist, but in, you know what I'm saying. In the people's minds, it did. So that was going on in the Bible. They was people offering, throwing babies into the fire. People still do that in parts of the world. They, they throw people, they throw virgins in volcanoes. What are they trying to do? Appease some God. To appease the God so, so they won't be angry and we'll have a good harvest or whatever. It's just ridiculous. But here you go as Christians and we say that Jesus came and, you know, and, and, and God's crucifying his son. You know, or, or you know, Jesus is offering himself and, you know, you know, to appease his father. In other words, Jesus came to save us from his angry dad. Don't look at me like that. Y'all grew up hearing that. And if it wasn't said didactically like that or specifically like that, but yet the theology is there. And so let, let me say this. Did Jesus do for us what we could not do for ourselves? Of course he did. There's an old show. It's probably stupid. There's an old show that I found that we, me and Jill used to watch in the 80s. It's amazing when you go back and watch shows in the 80s, like it didn't take much to entertain us. It's like, man, did we... <laughs> And we, it, was a, it was called Perfect Strangers. Any of y'all remember that? Them two guys lived together, cousins, Belky. And all through the show, so I've been watching it, and Jill's like, she ain't even into it. But I've just been watching some of it lately because it, it was just real simple times. They're real sweet shows, and nobody's going to take the clothes off or cuss. And so it's just something that helps me relax. I, I just stumbled upon it. I found it, you know. And I've been watching some of it. <laughs> and... Uh, one thing that Belky dude that's supposed to be from this made-up place, you know. But he, he says all, in every show, several times in every show, it almost gets monotonous, but he'll say, uh, you, they'll ask a question, you know, and just like what I did, did Jesus do what he could do, you know, did Jesus do for us what we could not do for ourselves? 
And, you know, and Belkey would say, of course he did. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> and he says it over and over. Everything he says, of course I do. Don't be ridiculous. And so did Jesus do for us what we could not do for ourselves? Of course he did. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> did he step into the ring, so to speak, as our substitute? Did he battle with Satan, sin, and death for us? Sure he did. Absolutely. Did he take a bullet for us? You ever love somebody? I've told, told my family, I've told my family, my, my wife, and I, my, my, kid, my grandkid, I'll take a bullet for you. I would. Well, I wouldn't even think. Did Jesus take a bullet for, you, for us? Yeah, yes. But the key I want you to remember is this. God is not the one holding the smoking gun. We, we, we are. We did that to him. And so we, we cannot divorce substitution from this thing called identification. Jesus identified as us and for us. And, and, and Jesus did, did not exactly, listen to me now, he, did not, he identified with us, but he was not our substitute in every aspect because, because, listen to this, Jesus didn't exactly suffer death in our place, right? Because we still die. We still have funerals. People still die. So if Jesus was your substitute, then that, nobody should be dying. But Jesus didn't substitute by dying for you, but he identified with death by dying for us, and not only for us, but as us. He identifies with us in death. And so G G Jesus identified with us, and listen, he became the mediator of the great exchange. In other words, he took our, our curse, the curse of sin and death. Jesus took that curse, and he gave us his blessing. What's his blessing look like? Life. And not just life, but eternal life, life more abundantly. So he takes our hell. Hell's here right now. We, people living in hell right now. So he took our hell, but what does he give in, in exchange? He gives us his heaven. So he, he participates in our human nature so that we can share in his divine nature. I, I like to say it like this. Jesus, what he did on the cross is he unwrathed us. He unwrathed us. See, what, what I want you to understand is the, the, the Eastern Orthodox theology has this statement about God, and it just says this, that God is love, period. In other words, God is love plus nothing. That is not the American Western view of God. It's not. Now, God is love. His very nature and essence is love. And so anything that we say about God uh, besides God is love is a facet of that one diamond or that one essence or that one nature. So in other words, we in, that believe in the early church, what they believed about God, we would never say, no, let me say what you always hear in American culture. You, you, you'll hear American People say this. They'll say, God is love. And they'll go, yeah, God is love. But he's also, and then they'll, they'll add something else. Am I right? They'll say, yeah, but he's also holy. Yeah, God is love, but he's also just. Or God is love, but he's also, they got a, but he's also. That's heresy. To, to say that God is love, and, and, but he's also just, it actually sets justice against love. As if there is an unloving justice. No, God is just love. 
I don't mean just like only, but I mean just as injustice love. We, we, we would never say that God is love, but he's also holy. As if there is an unloving holiness. No, God's holy love. You see the difference? You see the difference? We, we, we would not say that God is, is love, but, but you know, he, he, he's, he's wrathful. He, you know, his wrath. Listen, yeah, there's wrath, but God's wrath is never aimed at you. It's aimed at what's in you that's against love's kind. It's like a doctor being angry and wrathful at cancer destroying a person. See, the, 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 the Eastern Church, I told you, the, you know, our view we were raised up under was that courtroom metaphor. But the Eastern Church view is not a courtroom scene. It's, it's more like a hospital. And, and, and they don't see God as judge, but they see him as father. They, they see him as a great physician. They, they don't see sin as something as simple as law-breaking. They see that sin is much worse than law-breaking. Because uh, see, in the courtroom view, is sin is law-breaking, it's got to be punished. In the, in the Eastern Orthodox view that I hold is that sin is not that simple. That you, in other words, you can't punish sin out of somebody. You can't spank a fever out of a baby. You can't punish cancer out of someone. They, the Eastern Orthodox view of sin is sin is a fatal disease that's killing us. And what we need is a great physician to heal us. And how has healing come? By forgiveness. When Jesus was on the cross and he was being murdered by us, he didn't respond vindictive. He didn't respond with retaliation, retribution. He simply said, Father, forgive them. And in his forgiveness, and wiped the ledger clean and forgave the world of sin. In that forgiveness that's received by faith in him, that's how our healing comes. That's, that's how it comes. And, and, and so God is not love plus something. God is love, period, total. And, and even if you're talking about God's anger, uh, it, it, God's anger is still coming out of love and God's only angry about what is keeping or it, it's what is not of love's kind. That, that, that's, that, it's, like, it's like I told you when I, you know, my, my wife's mother-in-law died a few weeks ago. And my wife's mom and my mother-in-law. And you just feel so angry. Got a couple of grandkids that's they're always with me. <laughs> so you go live right down the street, but don't mean I love them more than others. It's just, it's just they just live there close, you know. <clears throat> but they, boy, they've been struggling here with a little stomach bug for about five days now. And, and I've been doing what I can do for, for them, you know. And I told you last night, you know, because I'm, I'm looking for this problem to stop, and it ain't stopping. And, and I told you last night, I, I, I told I said, I, I said, I'm getting angry. Didn't I tell you that? I didn't know it was going to be a good sermon illustration. Okay. And, I, and I'm sure not angry at my, those precious grandchildren that I love. I'm angry at what's in their body that's, that's hurting them. I'm angry at that. So I got angry enough to go pray about it. Can you imagine that? 
well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Oh, it's down to that? Man, it must be bad. <laughs> but I was, I'm, I'm getting angry because they mess, this, this, this bacteria, whatever it, is, whatever it is, is messing with my grandkids that I love. And I'm getting angry. And if I could, I'd take that bacteria, that virus out, and I'd beat the hell out of it. I'd beat it down, and I'd beat it, and I'd stomp it, and I'd annihilate it. Did I say that out loud? Somebody said, well, you cursed. I ain't, I ain't never cursed nobody. Curse is like putting voodoo on them. And curse. I just maybe said a profanity, but I didn't curse. And it's in the Bible, by the way, too, so y'all all like it. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> anyway, you don't really realize how terrifying it is to do what I do because you never know what's going to just escape and fly out. And I've always thought that could be, I mean, it, you just don't know how worse it could be. And when and I pray that never happens because I'll just have to quit preaching once that happens. But, but anyway, let me end this by saying to you that God is love. And anything else is just a facet. You, you know what I mean by that. One diamond with all the little, but they're all facets, but it's still one diamond. And so... Jesus, he identified it with us as humans, it's, it's flesh, it says in John 1. Jesus unwraths us from, from the wrath of God. And again, that wrath is not aimed at you, it's aimed at what's in you. Just making, taking life from you. In Ephesians 2 and 3, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, let's just read verse 1 through 5. I just want to end with this. You know, that may sound strange to you. You know, somebody says, well, in, in Ephesians 2 and 3, it says we're all, by nature, children of wrath. We were, by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. But again, please be clear on this. Wrath is not as, I want you to see wrath not as the vengeance of an angry God, but as the process of us perishing under the curse of sin and death. That's what it is. Jesus said, I'm not willing that any should perish. For God sent his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish. It's that, that word's over and over. And, and so he unwrathed us from sin and death. But, but how did he do it? Did, 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 did he unwrath us from, from sin and death by wrathing Jesus in our place? No. But by, by becoming one of us, and as Jesus the God-man, he overcame wrath. And how did he do it? By giving mercy, which was forgiveness. Boy, you, when you move in the opposite spirit, it just kills that spirit. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you, Ephesians 2, 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. This is all of us now. Listen to this. 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others, but God. Ooh, I love that. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Not you will be saved if you pray the magic prayer. You will not enjoy that salvation unless you, you re re respond to it and believe in it. But you have been saved. Who's been saved? The world. From what? Wrath. Where did wrath would come from? Sin. What did he do? He took sin away. Whose sin did he take away? The sin of the world. If you hadn't got any sin on the ledger, there's nothing to be wrathful about. As far as that goes. Now the only thing God's wrath is aimed at today is the lies that we believe about him and about ourselves. And about his love for us. So God is not love plus this, love plus. He is love, period. And every other thing that you would ever think about him is just a facet and a display of that love. He is not vengeful. His mercy is, regardless of what the church has told you, his mercy is everlasting. It doesn't end with the grave. It is everlasting. Eternal. God. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful salvation. What a wonderful Redeemer. What a wonderful God that would endure all that we throwed at him on the cross and still forgave the world. And by in that forgiveness, he overcome sin, death, hell, the grave. He overcame it. That's what he did. Amen? Stand with me. God bless you guys. 1201, what a wonderful preacher to quit at 1201. I am so good. It only took me 30 years to get to that level where I could quit at 12, ain't right, Brookie? <laughs> Amen. Love you guys. God loves you more. I felt like today during the worship service that, man, we just had some people sitting in here today. You might be new, you might be old, you might be old like me. I don't mean in age, but I've been here a while. That's what I mean. And man, there's some hurts in a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, even in the most awkward places or even like during a worship service, I can remember wrongs done to me. Betrayals. Stabbings. <laughs> I and I'm like, what? Why is that come? Where's that coming from? I'm trying to worship God, and here I'm having this thought about somebody did me wrong. And I felt, and that happened to me this morning. Isn't that something? And and I was like, I was like, what, where's what, what, what's that about? And he said, there's still 
some things in your soul I want to heal. Because you're not totally well on that. And that's why I bring it to you in this moment. It's my presence. And I know what to do when I felt that. And I said, standing right there, I said, Father, I forgive them. Because you forgave me. And I extend what you extended to me. I forgive them. Did I feel like it? No. And boy, I can think about how I've been done in some certain situations in life and stuff. And it, and just, it just hurts. It just flat hurts. But how does your healing come? It comes in forgiveness. Because you've been forgiven. Things you ain't even done yet, you're already forgiven. And you hadn't even done them. Because he took away the sin of the world. And so I just want to say to somebody today that might be wrestling with something that's been done to you and hurts. And it hurts, man. It hurts. And, and it's not in your spirit. It's in your soul. Mind, will, and emotions, all that part of you. But he's the restorer of your soul. And he's the healer of the hurts. And I'm just saying you don't have the strength in yourself to do anything other than just surrender. But healing comes when you surrender to the love of a God that is like the God that I've tried to describe to you. I've asked people before, you know, I've had people come to my office and they'd be hooked on drugs, hooked on this, hooked on that, whatever. And they'll say, you know, and they'll tell me all the bad that they've done, you know, in a little moment of time or what that was most recent bad. And they say, Brother Dale, do you think God can ever forgive me? And uh, I say, he already has. Can I say that's shocking news to them? I say, God already has forgiven. And they look at me strange. And I have to explain to them what Jesus did on the cross. He took away your sin. And, and you mean I'm already forgiven? Yeah, you're already forgiven. God's not angry with you. God just wants you to believe in him. I said, if God is, was as good as I've described to you, if God really is love, if he's really, if he's as good as I have tried to describe to you, if he was really that good, let's just pretend for a moment that he's really that good and that the gospel, the good news is really that good, then would you surrender to a, to, a, to a God like that? Would you just surrender to him? Would, would you just give up trying to make it on your own? Would you just surrender to a person that loves you like that? And they go, yeah. I said, that's salvation. That's what it means. Just surrender to his love. Just trust him. And watch him lead you out. Watch that road to Maya stop, turn around, and those two guys headed back to Jerusalem after they hung out with him and broke bread with him and had supper with him. And their eyes were opened and they saw who he really was and how he really was. And they said, you know what, man, we had it all wrong. And they turned around and they headed back and got on the right path, on the right road back to Jerusalem because they didn't want to miss anything that was going on. And for the next 40 days, Jesus walked and was seen among them. And I believe in every one of those meetings, probably them two guys was in there somewhere going, yay, Jesus. Because their eyes had been opened to who he really was and how much he loved them. And they they got to be like this. Jesus, man, we must be something for him to draw near to just two guys like us, that tater heads like us. We're not even one of the 12. We, not even, we, not even, we don't even have the front row seats and he come after us. What kind of love must this God have for us? that he'd come after us, two knuckleheads like us. You ever think about that? That God came after a knucklehead like me? Walked in pepper disco and said, come on out there, son. This ain't for you, come on. 
God, I must be important for the God of the universe to come after me in relentless love, relentless pursuit, relentless forgiveness. Amen? I don't know why we ain't running 10,000 people with that good news right there. Boy, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, I heard a preacher the other day said that people left his church and they went over to another church, but he was friends with the worship leader at the other church. And he knew they had left this church, you know, and, and that these people went to the other church. And this church that, that they left was kind of like this church that you're in really emphasizes the grace of God and the love in God and forgiveness and all that. And these people that left that church, they just they went to this other church and, and they met the worship leader and they were talking to him and they said this to the worship leader. I heard him say, this preacher said this. And he said, they said to the worship leader, yeah, we, and that guy said, didn't y'all used to go over to the, to the church, the bridge, I think it was called, the bridge, didn't you? He said, yeah, but we, we left, we, we, we're coming over here now. They said, it, is the God that y'all preach, is he still angry a little bit? And the worship leader said, yeah, our God's angry still about some stuff. And they said, well, good, because where we left, he, you know, God's just not angry no more, and we, we just can't deal with that. We don't believe God's that good. And he, what he was saying was that if you preach God in the pureness of what the Word says about him, people will actually leave your church because they can't take a God that's that good. Because people in the Western world, they, they want people to get it. There's people they don't want to make it. There's people that they want to go to hell. And they want God to punish people and, 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 and get them back. And so they like a preaching that throws some law in there and some, you know, I saw a guy yesterday put up on Facebook, you know, tattoos are a sin. And he put the scripture up and quoting out the old covenant. And, and it has nothing to do with tattoos. It was people that was tattooing their body to appease the dead. Had nothing to do with tattoos. But I thought, but how many people did that hurt to read that thing? They go in hell because they got a tattoo on there. So stupid. And I wanted to come under there and write and quote a scripture. And I said, it also says that eating pork is a sin. In the same old covenant you're quoting from, how much hog have you had in the last month? <laughs> but, no, nah, you're going to throw up tattoos, try to beat the hell out of people that's got a tattoo, and you sitting there stuffing pork, and I can give you, verse, I can give you more verses on pork eating than you can on tattooing. <laughs> but it just shows how non-smart you are. <laughs> and that angers me. But my wrath is towards that that makes that brother not understand love's kind. Not aimed against him as a child of God. He's just been listening to the wrong people at the wrong church and the wrong Western theological mindset of an angry, vindictive, violent, vengeful God. But our God is love. Period. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to dismiss you. I killed my stopping at 12:01 because I talked on. What time is it now? How much? 12:10. Okay. Well, hey, they still be chicken left at the buffet when you get there. I love you. I'm up here. If you want prayer or anything, I'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Go enjoy your day. We love you.